Hey everyone, it's the Dynasty Dad here. Wanted to let you know about something we're super excited about at the Smash Accept podcast, and that's teaming up with DraftKits.co again. That's .co. They make the best draft boards for your draft. Custom draft boards. They make you know player player stickers that look absolutely glorious. They are the finishing touch to your at-home draft. And let's be honest, with COVID last year, we are super excited for those in-home drafts, those in-person live drafts that are going to be coming up this year. And there's no better way than putting that swag up on your board. They made my custom board here in the back. They do the best work. Go out there, use code SMASH for a 10% off. Tell them dad sent you. And right now, if you guys place an order, you are instantly qualified for up to a $70 voucher from Flying W Awards for a free trophy. You can't beat that. You get DraftKits.co's best boards out there. You get 10% off from code SMASH because we love you guys. And you get an opportunity for a free trophy. Go out there and do it and enjoy the process. There we go. I left the city, I've been browsed. Treading water that they drowned. My head on a swivel. Yeah. It's only really my surroundings. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Smash Accept podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. And joining me as always is my co-host, you know, wrapping up his first Scott Fishbowl. Mung, how you doing today? Hey, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I went to the dentist earlier, so my teeth are all sparkly and clean. And uh, I'm getting ready for the weekend, but uh, getting ready to talk some fantasy football first. You're really hitting them with the exciting stuff, you know, talking about getting their teeth cleaned and things like that. Uh, you know, Mung, we've had some great guests over over the past couple of months, uh, obviously talking about everything. We, we deal specifically with trades. We have had a lot of guys from the film aspect. Tonight, we're going to talk about analytics. And when it, we're talking about analytics, who better to have on than Jordan McNamara himself? How you doing? I'm, I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're super excited. I mean... Book number two just came out, or is it second edition to book number one? I mean, I've heard a lot from from your days back at Under the Helmet. Now you're football guys doing your own things over, you know, at your own podcast. Talk to mm -hmm. us a little bit about what you have going on, because I know you're super busy. Yeah, it's the third Analytics of Dynasty. Uh, so that's so it's uh, it's it's the 2021 edition. Yeah, and it's it's just again we're just looking trying to make better decisions and you know just framing it through that context of like hey what's find the really bad bets and not make them honestly is is i think that's a great way to play dynasty and then uh and then you know and and it's it's a lot of it startup drafts rookie drafts um you know i have a i have an entire chapter on just the um uh just strategies like outside of football that i think are super relevant to use which is something i try and incorporate every year um and each year is different too so like if you've if you've read one of the first ones or something like that the, the I'm not necessarily going to say the data evolves, but we look at different things. And I think we can search out and find different efficiencies and different things. Uh, and it sort of, it continues to grow. So an idea that I had in two, you know, the second one in 2020 sort of delves into, you know, I branch off it in, in the third one. And I'm actually writing 4.0 right now. And there's just some stuff that, you know, I've never got to and that I've never um, you know, been able to cover. Uh, I never had the data to cover. I never sort of could figure out how to do it. Um, and so now we got it. And, you know, so it's, it's an ongoing process and it's fun. And yeah. And then I got all the, I do a daily po dynasty podcast at analytics at dynasty.com. Uh, and obviously the, the football guys show with my uh, partner in crime, Chad Parsons. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and that's that's where I first heard about it. But I, I've seen a lot of great things. I mean, I saw you from your your table of contents. One thing about team building strategy that I wanted you to elaborate a little bit on is it starts right out. You know, it says two weeks, two months, two years. Tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so there's a book by uh, a woman by the name of Susie Welch, and she wrote uh, ten minutes. It was ten minutes, ten months, ten years. Basically, short, intermediate, long term thinking about about, you know, your life decisions. And a lot of it is like, Hey, if you go back, you know, evaluate this decision in, in 
you know, put yourself 10 minutes from now and look back on this decision and what would you say? Or put yourself in, you know, 10 months from now. What would 10 months from now Jordan say about this this decision? 10 years, same thing. I decided to sort of adopt it for Dynasty. I don't think it's 10 because, you know, you're lucky. You know, everyone's still talking to each other 10 years from now in your Dynasty League. Um, but uh, so for me, it's more 2-2-2. Two, two, two. So I look, you know, uh, it's it's two weeks, two months, and two years. And so, and like, you know, you were talking Scott Fishbowl and, and those sorts of things. Like, I'm in a Dynasty startup draft that literally just finished. And today, it just finished. And the decisions that I made at the beginning of it had a huge impact on the rest of the stuff that I did along the way. And I'll give you a great example. Like someone says, you know, um, uh, what do you think about Travis Kelsey in a startup draft? Well, if you draft Travis Kelsey in a startup draft, like you have to draft a certain way, right? You can't really go a long-term build. And it's not to say you're just going to, you know, play redraft, but you kind of, you can't really take developmental uh, you know, long shots because it's not going to maximize your team, right? You kind of have to do it right now if you're going to take Kelsey early. That's not to say it's the wrong answer. It's just you kind of have to know what your aim is. And so a lot of it's that, right? And then, you know, the decisions that we make now should have, uh, are going to have ramifications over the, you know, in the, in the real near term, in the, in the medium term, right? Going into the season and then over the course of your, your year. And then you have to kind of balance that. Again, that's a lot of thinking about, you know, if I make a trade right now, uh, it's fine if I'm if I sort of totally put myself heavy on wide receivers, for example. Like if I identify, or, or I'll, I'll even use a better example. If I have, um, if I can find Deshaun Watson at what I think is a discount right now, like even if I have two really good starting quarterbacks, like I'm playing the long game on that, right? And that might be two months, two years down the line. But that is definitely a long game that I'm playing. I'm not worried about what my starting lineup looks like July 14th. You know, I'm worried about sort of what the implications could be at, you know, at some point in season or multiple years out in terms of what his implications could be. Um, so that's one of the things, again, then you're in that case, you're kind of waiting down the line a little bit further, you know, in, in your equation than you are. But just understanding what lens you're looking for and what 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 your aim is, I think, is really important. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I actually had a question earlier this week. Someone messaged me. They're like, hey, I'm at, I'm at the late second here in my startup draft, and I'm trying uh-huh. to decide between Travis Kelsey and CeeDee Lamb. And I said, well, uh-huh. I mean, that is right. a totally different spectrum, right? I right. love CeeDee Lamb. When I draft, I draft for upside and and, and those kind of things. But uh-huh. I said, you know, he's like, I really want Kelsey. I said, well, when you do that, that changes everything in your draft. And he said, what do you mean? The third round will just take best player available. And I was like, yes, but – You've put yourself in a situation where by taking Travis Kelsey, you are pushing in early, you know, and that's a, a, a team that you're trying to win right away where you Correct. take CD lamb. Now you have that option for best player available in the third round, because now, you know, you have a good enough player who's gonna, you know, only improve. And we're going to talk about CD lamb a little bit later here, mm-hmm. but then you, you leave things open. So it's like a lot of times I think everyone just looks at things right in the, in the front of their face. And Mung, you and I've been talking a lot about, you don't have to make your rosters right now. You know, you don't have to set your starting lineups. Deshaun Watson, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's someone that that we've been talking about for months. Yeah, and definitely in startups, I mean, that's why you lean with the younger players, right? Because not only do they retain the value, they're more flexible in terms of trade assets. So like you said, you know, with Kelsey, you're committing to that almost win-now route, and that doesn't necessarily preclude excuse me, preclude you from, you know, trading him away for younger players at some point if that doesn't work out. But that's one reason why I think Kittle or even Waller would be your locked in, you know, number one dynasty tight end. And I still see people having Kelsey there. And yeah, he's going to be dominant for as long as he's in Kansas City with Mahomes over the next couple of years. But, you know, that doesn't take away the fact that his trade value is still going to plummet sometime in the near future. Yeah, and, and we're always, Mung and I are always answering trade questions, and I know you are as well. And Jordan, I know sometimes you catch a little backlash because sometimes people are, they're so focused on that two weeks, right? They see that trade and they, mm-hmm. they John, our other co-host, we talk about it all the time, where people are just buying into the hype too late, right? Like once the right. hype already happens, once that, that big decision happens, now you can't buy anymore. Now you're just straight overpaying and you're putting yourself in a position for your dynasty teams to falter from there. 
Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I wrote about this. Actually, Chad, my co host of Football Guys, Chad Parsons, and I had a draft. And it was, it was the summer of, um, it was the summer of 2018. And at the time, and I detailed this in the book, uh, Rob Gronkowski was coming off a, pr- a pretty good season, but there was beginning to be like a, a echo, like off in the distance of retirement rumors. Nothing like super serious, but, it was there. Um, and it was a two tight end. It was a start two tight end, tight end premium, juiced up. Right. And it was, it was totally, it was a very tight end friendly atmosphere. And the other person that we had was Mike Evans. And so our decision in our draft was, do we take, do we take Gronk or do we take Mike Evans? Right. That's what the decision we were going to take one of the two. There was no trading out. There was no doing anything. Like it ended up having to be those two. And, it became a, a spot of like, all right, like we, you have to know, right. And, and I sort of analogize this to like, if you're kind of walking down, you know, if you're sort of walking down the hallway, right. There's only, when you have Kelsey, right. There's only so many exits. Right? There's, there's, there's probably only one. Right. And so wh- where you have Mike Evans, like you've got a lot of different exits, right. So if there's a fire, but there's a lot of different, ways you can get out right you can um you know you there's a lot of different ways to build that team with contingencies in it with kelsey there's not and that's not to, and the more i've played dynasty the more i've sort of rejected the idea that that value is is an actual thing that we can predict in the future i just don't think it is um it's it's only it's it's production right it's you're only as valuable as productive you are and um yeah, then there's an age component to it too, but it's generally, if you're not productive, you don't retain your value. Um, so it ends up becoming a lot of that. So, I, I mean, I, so I sort of understand and, you know, we, we sort of, we really hashed that out and it really became a defining point of like, here's what our team we want to be with this Gronk versus Evans decision. And it ended up, you know, that you just have to know when you're at that. And it's not to say there's a wrong decision there, but you just have to know the implications of it and, and sort of what you're going to do to pivot off of it. Don't take a bunch of, you know, if you're going to take Kelsey, don't take a bunch of day three uh, rookie wide receivers that you think are going to be long-term successes because A, they're not, and B, they're not going to help you in the Kelsey window. Mung, one of our listeners actually sent in a question, and I saw you that you answered it on Twitter today. Now he has Kyler Murray and Trey Lance. And he's like, I got to get rid of one of these quarterbacks. You know, he felt like in order to get Travis Kelsey to put him over the top, he had Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Hurts, and Matthew Stafford. And I want you to talk a little bit, kind of like what he was talking about with Gronk, of what your decision was with that and and how you would be liking to move forward with that. Yeah, I think the trade was actually, um, he has Stafford, Hurts, and Rodgers. And he's trading two of those for, I believe it was Dak Prescott and Travis Kelsey um, in a two-quarterback dynasty league. And my response to him was, I usually go with, I'm a more, uh, let's call it risk-adverse dynasty GM in that um, I'll shy away from the pricier guys at cost. Um, And then I also look at what's the worst possible a potential outcome for a certain player. And, you know, to him, I responded, basically, Aaron Rodgers is going to be 38 years old in a couple months. He just, he's coming off of a career year with an insane touchdown rate. Um, he is the definition of a sell-high candidate for me. I, I wrote about him in one of my big-name dynasty players to avoid article, I think, a couple months back. And then Jalen Hurts, uh, I talked about him a little bit on Twitter where if you are win now, if you're getting Dak Prescott as your other quarterback, then maybe you can take a shot on Jalen Hurts because it sounds like the Eagles are pretty committed to him. And we know that he carries that rushing floor and upside. Uh, as long as you understand that there is the risk of the Eagles moving on from Hurts potentially as soon as 2022. Um, so I think Rodgers is the clear sell here. And for me, I would keep Stafford of the three because I think he has a pretty solid high-end QB2 floor, and he does have a pretty high ceiling as well, uh, albeit not probably touching on the elite options. Yeah, it seems like he's definitely going all in. I mean, obviously he wants Kelsey. Jordan, I know you're you're big on Dak Prescott. Mung and I have been mm-hmm. big on him this particular year. I mean, we we both had our we had our bold takes show a couple weeks ago with Dave Richard from CBS. We were saying Dak is that. 
QB one dark horse, like QB one overall. I mean, that is in there, that range of outcomes. And if he's going and getting Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott, and he already has Trey Lance on his, on his bench out of those three quarterbacks between Rogers, Stafford and Hertz, who's the one that you'd be keeping? Uh, I'd keep Stafford. Um, if, if so, just so I have this frame, right. You could sell Hertz and Rogers for Dak and Kelsey. Is that how I understood the trade? Yeah, which yeah, I would I would drop my nine month old like to <laughs> hit accept like hit that smash accept right I would I would I'm working on a scale I'm actually working on a scale I've it's been does, like does a, your scale have like at what point you'll drop your nine month old yeah yeah <laughs> so like so like run over grandma's on there like you know like run over my toddlers on there with a relatively low level of urgency because you know that's justice sometimes you know so I'm, I'm working on i'm working on a scale but uh that's that that would be a relatively high one if i could trade hertz and like i love rogers um and i, I really like stafford too i think stafford's probably the best blend in here of of um, longevity and and a lead upside um and floor and the the, the triad combination there i think that's pretty uh, he's probably the best bet uh, but Dak prescott's i think the second best quarterback in dynasty and i think there's a tear break after him so um i would run to do that yeah and you talked about you know it, it's a long game i mean Dak prescott was a quarterback especially we talk about this all the time on our redress or on our uh, rebuild type shows where you target those those injured players and I know last year I traded when, when as soon as he went down I traded Deshaun Watson for Dak Prescott in the first I mean those kind of moves were like now you're like that I mean I, and I what can I, you do now like what what could you do what could you flip back now like you could go you could trade Dak for Watson in like two, two first, first maybe probably. yeah exactly and it just it's incredible when you think about that exactly and I mean Dak was phenomenal last year i mean he really was and he was on pace to be the qb1 and he looked looked the part but people are so quick to like you said that two-week window where it's like oh well now i need a quarterback instead of going out and you know using a third round pick and you know a throw-in player to get a, a someone to fill in they're like hey let's go all in and get to sean watson now that trade I don't want to, I'm not doing it to shame my league mate, but I'm like, mm -hmm. at that point, that trade looks really bad. And those kind of things happen. Um, I, I really want to talk a lot about your chapter four, where your rookie value strategies, you know, and talk a little bit about rookie hit rates, because we all just finished all of our rookie drafts, you know, and everyone thinks that every player on their roster is going to hit, right? We all have those, those day three guys. Yeah, they're, they're going to be great because we love the upside, right? And we all believe in all of that. Talk to me a little bit about some of your findings when you came across rookie hit rates. And we'll start, I don't know if you want to go position by position, you know, maybe start with the, the wide receivers and, and get into the running backs a little bit. Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think by and large, the, the biggest takeaway is that we overestimate how valuable guys will be. Um, and I, I think, honestly, just, just day three wide receivers, like if I could give you a one tip, day three wide receivers hit less than 5% of the time. Just don't draft them. I mean, I mean that there's you can do so much better, and and the problem with them too is you get baited, right? Because you're like, oh, like you know, oh, like this is like year three, like oh, he needs time to develop, like uh, he's you know, and and then you've held him for 36 months, and that could have been how many running backs, that could have been how many spot start quarterbacks, it could have been how many you know, one injury away guys, it could have been how many streamer tight ends, right? You just you just to the reverse math on that, you're like, man, I gave up all that's a that value that roster spike could have been really valuable. And it was a terrible bet. Right. I was just it was I, I had was had sticky fingers to a terrible bet. Um so that would be the I think the overarching takeaway. Um and I look at I really look at at player profiles, especially between running backs and wide receivers. I basically look at it um I think they're similar levels, but they start at different rounds. So for example, I think running backs clearly a first round running back goes over any wide receiver. Uh, and then you, you look at round two running backs with round one wide receivers are about the same uh, round uh, three running backs with round two wide receivers are a pretty close. I would lean, I would, I would lean running back there, but I think they're, generally speaking, going to fall in the same tier. I think you break, you almost always at those cause break towards the running back would sort of be my thought. And then after that in the draft, um, you know, round four running backs fit with round three wide receivers pretty closely. Like they look very similar uh, and that's kind of how it looks. And then after that, you kind of avoid the wide receivers and day and day three. 
Um, so that's generally how it works. But I think that we get, you know, like Amon Ross St. Brown right now. Like we do this story every year. And that's not the knock on Amon Ross St. Brown, but the like, hey, the guy coming in is going to be the situational darling uh, from day three. Like that's really rare. Like it just doesn't happen all that often. Um, you know, so that would sort of be my, my caution that I would overall have on the wide receiver position. The other thing too is like, I'm, I'm thinking about writing like a chapter, which is like the, the 10 rules I've learned, like the 10 things I've learned that I'll never do again. And it's, I'll never trade up for a receiver in a rookie draft ever again. Like it's just never going to happen. Um, and just like we get, we're terrible and this isn't anyone's fault, but we're just really bad at predicting uh, future success. And one area that shows up in that's really kind of horrifying is ADP, when you just look at first round wide receivers, ADP isn't predictive of success, right? So what that means is if you just randomly drew out of the first round wide receivers, you would do as well as ADP has done within within those wide receivers. That's that's not good. The same thing with the NFL draft. The, the order in which wide receivers go off in the first round of the NFL draft is not predictive of their success. Right. So we vault guys up for going or they're, they're likely to hit. We vault guys up and, uh, you know, and, and say, hey, this guy went, you know, 20 spots higher in the first round. And then we elevate them. Whereas a lot of times what I think is probably the more prudent play is like, we'll just sit and wait and take the leftovers. Right. Like let everyone else take the bet that they're really, really confident in. And I just kind of know it's random. So that's a lot of how I treat the receiver position. I'm, I'm very much a um, depressed assets kind of in, uh, investor at the wide receiver position. And once I get a, a really good profile, I just hold on to it. And, you know, I'm kind of a buy and hold investor at the position. Well, and I think the one thing, and whether you call it, you know, productive struggle or, or however you want to do it, when you talk about your startups, the mo- some of the most successful ones that I've done and, and the, the advice that I try to give a lot of times is, is take those wide receivers. You know, right now the running back trend is, come out with three running backs in the first, you know, the beginning of your startups. And, and that, that's kind of tough because if you look at things, you take those wide receivers early, you take those guys that you believe in, you know, those guys that are young and they're hitting the Justin Jefferson's, the CD lambs, you know, the, the top notch guys that are really starting to ascend the AJ Browns, DK Metcalf. Then you get those running backs in your rookie draft, which is what you're saying is a lot easier, a predictive hit rate on your running backs where wide receivers becomes a lot more difficult. Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing, so I've actually done some study on the productive struggle. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's really interesting to me because I think a lot more people try to implement it than can just because there's not a ton of people that are looking to trade off future, uh, future first, right. That's the, the research that I found over the leagues that I was able to get my hands on, uh, which is a pretty big set. It was like 15% of teams traded away their first. They're not that big of a, it's not really that, huge of a, of a number. Um, and I feel like that just keeps going down and down, you know, like the, right. the, the better the draft class we have, like when 2014 right. came out, no one was trading 2015. Cause they're like, Oh, next year's class might be hitting, you know, because they believe that. And 2020 was so, so hot. I mean, you basically, if you didn't take Keyshawn Vaughn in the first, which thank God, if you listen to our podcast, you didn't, but mm-hmm. if you didn't take him, you hit. And then all of a sudden those right. draft picks, happened where you know the 2017 or 2017 was so good but 2018 2019 classes were they were okay you know and that i i felt like there were a couple drafts where i came out with a bunch of them you know i i came out with six firsts in one of them and it, when you mm-hmm. get one of those drafts and everybody knows but the more and more i do it i mean we did smash except listener league one and two first round picks people were holding on to you know every draft i've done this offseason people are holding on to them you know and it's it's become right. a lot more difficult Okay, I misspoke. It's twenty four percent that um, that have traded away their future first. So, um, so I misspoke there. I think I said fifteen percent. Um, yeah, and so what I think is interesting about it is like when you look at the expected, um, you know, what 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 happens to the teams. I don't think anyone's ever done an actual study on it. You know, it's a lot of narrative about it. But what happens is is really fascinating. So I went back and I've looked at. I've studied two years now, and so in the first year the teams that traded away their first uh, won on average seven games. So 53.8%. Um, the teams that did nothing were uh, won 49% of their games. So 6.4 essentially. And then the teams that traded for 
future first round picks. So I called those teams in surplus, right? They've got extra first round picks going forward. Uh, they won 40% of their games. Uh, so just about five, uh, five and a quarter. And then the se- what's really interesting is the second year. So the second year, uh, the, the in surplus teams actually do the best. So the teams that actually traded for future first on average, there's a caveat to this on average, they did the best at seven wins. Uh, the teams that did nothing actually did the worst, which is interesting at just over six wins. And then the teams that were in debt were at 6.2 wins. Well, when you combine them over the first two years and see, this is the thing that I think people get a little bit lost on the teams that like, you can get a really elite team and in the way the team sort of showed up, if you trade away a future first, right? I think what happens there is there's a good chunk of those teams that become really elite and then there's everybody else and they try to revamp it and they really fall out. So what you see is a lot of the, the really elite teams come from that in debt, you know, come from the teams that traded away. But it, it, when you sort of average it out, it, they look relatively close, but what you see is the really, really, really good teams come from there. Um, and so over the first, when this is interesting, so over the first two years on average, teams that traded away their future picks won 13.2 games teams that uh, did nothing won 12.4 games and teams that were in surplus. So they traded for an extra pick won 12.3 games. So I actually think that there's a big takeaway from that, which is um, I think people do it wrong. So I think people do a productive struggle and they load up on wide receivers late in the draft. And I think that's really suboptimal. And I think that's why you actually put yourself because you could do both. Like if you if you wanted to, I just did it in a league, and I'm going to detail it. But I I I just did it, right? I I went productive, and I got future assets. And I, I don't think you could tell where I traded my where I traded my startup pick out. Like I don't. If you looked at my roster, you probably couldn't tell. And I think that that leaves me with a lot of options, right? Because then I got I've got multiple future firsts. I've got multiple future seconds. And what what really happens is is I gravitate towards a really um, consolidated and good wide receiver core, and guys that are it's they're really you know. And this year it's it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like you can stack up Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, Juju Smith-Schuster, and all of a sudden like you've got like a really robust production crew right there, and it's cheap. And so that's. You know, that's the thing that I I would sort of encourage people to focus on is not, but that allows you to draft six wide receivers instead of drafting 16, which I think people do way, way, way too much of. Again, taking way too many, hey, you know, in three years when I'm good, like all these wide receivers are going to be good. They're probably not. Like the numbers just like if one or two of those guys are good, you've done, you've done really well. Um, So that would sort of be my angle on it. I think that you can sort of walk a tight line and do both. And I don't think it actually hurts you. I think that's actually where an elite ceiling comes in uh, with like a hybrid approach. I call it a two-way go. Uh, I think you're on mute. Y'all am I right now? Yep, yeah, it was a good. great point you were making on mute. Mom wants to mute me, but uh, like my mute never happens. That my my best my best podcasts happen when I'm on mute, man. That's undisputable. <laughs> no one can no one can doubt that. Exactly. Can't be wrong if they can't hear you. Right. <laughs> no, what I was saying was, and Mung and I have been talking about this a lot, is those rounds three through seven, eight are just loaded with wide receiver value. I mean, absolutely. You know, Pushing out, you know, getting your quarterbacks early, you know, is, is great. And those running backs are in there. But there's wide receivers. I mean, you you get to – even in, in Scott Fishbowl, I mean, I came out with the most ridiculous wide receiver core because I was I was just – that's where you want to get them. You know, p- taking them too early at this point is, is a bit of a struggle. Um, Mung, anything you want to add to that? Because I thought that was great to listen to. I mean, as far as knowing – because everyone feels like, oh, they're going to trade that first and they're going to be so much better and they're going to move themselves into a position where they're going to be good for several years. You know, and from what how, – how many particular leagues was that across? I don't um, know, maybe it was across um, – I, uh, I think it was 300. Wow. 
Wow, that's yeah. Sorry, I think 300 teams. So I had 300 teams. Yeah, so that's 25. Yeah, that's awesome yeah. because it's like it basically. I mean, it, that was some information that really stuck out to me because you're always. I get questions all the time about startups mm-hmm. about what to do with their first round picks, and I'm always on the on the verge. In the beginning, when I first started playing Dynasty, I used them like candy, right? And I think that's part mm-hmm. of it. Like the younger Dynasty owners really don't evaluate first round picks the way they should. You know, they just right. kind of say, well, I want this player and I'm going to move here and I'm going to get rid of that first. And then I feel like the productive struggle team that you had there, those are the guys that seem to be a little bit more savvy, been doing it longer, understand what that first is looking like. And that would be interesting to see what happens year three, four, five. And the further you move out, it's got to sway so much further in that direction. Yeah. I'm going to keep tracking it. I'm going to keep tracking it. And I will bet, like, I, I'll be interested to see, like, I think there'll be a spot where it'll become random. Like maybe it's after like year three or four. Um, yeah. But I think it'll be, I think it'd be really interesting because I, I agree with you. It's some, something you need to evaluate. It's kind of like a long-term tracking project that I have at this point. I just, all right, I got to go back and check at the end of the year sort of see how they did. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Like what you'll see is the teams that get are, like really elite buys. So I really look at teams that, you know, you look at playoff rate and then you look at teams that get buys. The buys are a huge percentage of the buys are from teams that traded away their future first, a huge percentage of them. But I don't necessarily think that it's the player that you trade the future first for that does it. I think it's the mindset of, hey, I'm trading away if you, the Kelsey thing, right? Yeah. Like the Kelsey thing's the the perfect example. Like if Kelsey goes off this year, like teams are going to win a ton of championships that drafted this year because they were aligned with Kelsey, right? Like, it, you know, if, if, if Kelsey and Pitts have the exact same uh, stat line this year and, you know, Kelsey's going to win a lot more championships because Kelsey's on competitive teams versus right. where Pitts is coming from. So, um, so yeah, so I, th- I think it's interesting. And I, I think, I think it's probably some signaling from the decisions that they made that actually went along with that pick more so than the pick. That's why I actually think that, that there's a middle ground there that you could probably not take that big of a loss on. Uh, and, and especially this year, if you just want to sort of operate, like trade a third for a seventh and a future first, like you've lost nothing at wide receiver and you've picked up a future first for free. You've actually probably gained a little bit something at wide receiver because you've avoided a bad bet. Yeah, it, absolutely. Mung, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it'd be really interesting to see not only just the teams, the percentage of the teams that are, you know, trading away those future picks, but also the timing of those trades. Because even for contending teams, oftentimes I'll try to keep at least one or two firsts. Um, and that is when I'll actually use those assets for midseason trades, yeah. right? When you're already at the point where you know you're going to make the playoffs. And then also at the same time, those teams that are struggling, they know they have to rebuild at that point. So it's almost one, you know, there's a bit a lot of times you're going to have more capital to land those elite players. And two, sometimes the opposite happens where those teams that know they have to rebuild are like, yeah, just take this guy. Like I'll even take a second round pick because I know mm-hmm. like I'm not going to win this year. Um, yeah. So obviously that that's harder to track, but I, I think it goes back to, you know, I don't remember which episode we talked exactly about our overall like dynasty strategy, but I remember one of my points was you got to commit and, you know, whether it's rebuilding or contending also, you know, you talked about the teams that are quote unquote in debt in terms of losing those future picks. Uh, You know, what percentage of those went all in, they traded all their future picks, right? It's going to be a long rebuild if they don't win that title. But when you, have a really good team and you know there's one or two other really good teams out there you know that that's the time right you got to push the chips in so trading away and keep or keeping like one or two future firsts as that almost hurts you because you're already getting a late pick the next year so you might as well go for it at that point i, I love that monk because I, I actually had you know another one of our listeners reached out and he was like hey i'm looking for some running back depth do you think it's a good idea to give up my first for chris carson right now i was like no no like not for depth you know, if you already have your starting lineup, you know, you don't even have to. We're not talking about starting lineups now and the opportunity of Chris Carson going down in week two. And now you just blew a first round pick on a guy who was barely worth a first round pick at any point there. You know, like save mm-hmm. those picks for when you make a push because someone's going to fall out of it and you're going to be able to buy someone younger and better than Chris Carson for that first round pick. Or if Chris Carson's that guy, you know, three quarters of the way through the season, 
then we make a move there to get those guys. But you don't want to be buying. It, timing is everything, right? So week we don't ten, want to week eleven, you yeah. know, that's when you yeah. target those guys. I, I traded for Chris Carson. I, I gave up a first for him. I think week ten or eleven last week. Um, and in that league, I ended up winning the title. But at that point, it was like, you know, even if you don't win, you're you're taking that shot. Exactly. Jordan, the other thing you had on there is I, I saw you have rookie value arcs and rookie career arcs. Can you talk to us a little bit about that before we talk into the the big guys? You know, everyone wants to know about the sophomores and, and what they're <laughs> going to do based off their rookie years. But talk to me a little bit about that those value arcs and career arcs. Yes, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that it's really interesting to sort of know. It, there's a lot of narratives that that just get thrown out and like, Hey, you know, this type of player goes up in valuation or this type of player like is on a surefire track and all those things. So like, I like to look at those and sort of see, you know, just understand what the odds are of, of players actually going up in value or going down in value. Um, and what we see is like, it's, it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a lot of players lose value and I, you know, and I think a big, a big part of it too, is that, buying and I, other people have talked about this and I've, I've sort of looked at it from a number of different, a number of different ways in terms of a pro, uh, production debate, which is the guys that struggle in year one for wide receivers. Like do they become buy lows or do they become guys you run away from? And cause there's still an ability to get out relatively close to what you paid for probably you know what do you sort of do um it's really interesting so one of the things that i found was uh, when you look at wide receivers uh, that lost value after their rookie season so they lost value from year one to year two so you're looking at guys like in, in the first round so you're looking this year at judy you're looking at um rugs and you're looking at rager 29 percent of that group rebounds to above where they were as a rookie after the third year. So you're looking at less than a one and three shot, you know, kind of understanding those things is a big, is a pretty valuable, um, it's a pretty valuable thing. You know, the other thing too, is like, I, it's, it's really interesting to me is when you, when you really look at player profiles and we look at, you know, what types of players are undervalued well, you can also come back and look and say, like, hey, what what guys are the most likely to go up in valuation, right? What what um, you know, what group of of players is most likely to go up in value after after their their rookie season? Like, it's it's really helpful because it's third round running backs, and so I just sort of look in that like in that prism, and it's it's a situation where. For a lot of reasons, Trey Sermon makes a lot of sense, but it's not just one. It's not like, hey, I'm attaching a narrative to him landing in San Francisco, but it's also like, hey, look at the third round rookie hit rate. Like, hey, also third round rookies go up in value. So that signals to me that they're probably undervalued as rookies. And we probably, for some reason, the market just doesn't appreciate them or is there's a time discount there or something, um, but, but they're undervalued. Um, and so it's really interesting, like being able to understanding, understanding those forces that are going on, I think is really, really valuable. I think there's a lot of people on Twitter right now trying to figure out, and that was great. The year two wide receivers. I mean, you know, Judy had the higher draft capital and, and rugs and, you know, and Rager. And those are, those are the guys you said, and they're saying that 29%, but then you know, there's people that are like, they're all about Pittman. They're all about Mims. There's so many guys there that, that had a lot of struggles as a rookie and it just, and, you know, we want to believe all these narratives, right? We want to believe mm -hmm. what's going on in camp. We we love these guys because a lot of times we draft a player and we want to keep telling ourselves the narrative year in and year out, you know, for the first two or three years. Oh, no, he's going to hit. You know, this was the guy that I like. This was, you know, someone that I believed in in the process. And then we just start to find ourselves actually just losing value and continuing to, like, have a slow bleed through those guys. Yeah, for sure. The other thing, too, is I'd look at, like, I kind of look at once we sort of know what we have in the first year, right? So then when you get guys that hit in the first year, so you look at Jefferson, um, heck, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, Josh Jacobs a couple years ago. In this book, I actually looked at, because I was really interested about the Clyde Edwards-Alaire-Josh Jacobs debate last year, because it really interested me in terms of like, I had to rank them. Uh, and I, so I did a whole bunch of research in terms of like, how would you, you know, what do, what do, what do we know about Jacobs now and sort of what does that mean? 
And so when you just look at guys that hit, like it's a massive difference. Like the, the Jacobs profile right now. And it's, it's amazing to me how written off he's gotten like his profile, like 40, over 40% of the guys that have hit the first two years coming from the first round of the NFL draft have hit for three straight years, right? Like you're looking at almost 50% of them. I mean, that is a, just an absolutely robust um, smashing success. Like you yeah. just think of a falling in terms of po- player profiles, a 23 year old first round running back with two starter seasons on his resume is plummeting in cost. Like when's the last time that has ever happened? Because I don't think it has. Um, so that's one you sort of look at, you know, I look a lot of profiles. The other one is like Clyde Edwards Lair. He was overvalued last year and he's probably undervalued now because like, again, he posts one and like, it's a huge hit rate, like 38% of, of first round running backs that hit in the first year of their, uh, of their career hit for three straight years. Um, they outproduce guys that, you know, I have a metric called warp, which is wins over replacement player. First round running backs that have hit as a rookie outproduce the rookie, the incoming rookie first round guy by a win over the next three seasons. Like that's a massive difference. Like that is a massive difference. Um, and so, you know, looking at those guys and looking at those types of players, I think it's really valuable. And, you know, I look a lot at, Hey, here are the types of players that we, that we want to be targeting. And then let's find guys that reflect that more so than I really look at like, Hey, let's try and find individual players. Like let's try and find the profiles and then get guys that reflect that. Yeah. And with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, it was almost like, sometimes I've noticed over, over the last couple of years, it's almost like the post hype sleeper, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Clyde Edwards Hilaire was being projected as, I mean, it was crazy. He was going round one startups. Like he was going before where right. Saquon Barkley was going his rookie year, you know, right. which is just absurd. And then we, we corrected it. But then it, we overcorrected it, and now Mung, you <laughs> Mung's board just came in. He's getting it set up. You know, I got the one <laughs> behind me with Kyler and Mahomes, and his, you know, has Trey Lance and Clyde Edwards-Helaire. So I mean, we've been talking a lot that it's just overcorrected way too far. Where Clyde Edwards-Helaire Mung is a screaming value. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I guess I'm not one for hot takes, but I don't even know if this is one. But I think Ceh is be a first round startup pick again next year um, i'm expecting him to have a really good season uh he, as you said he's still young he's got that first round draft capital and uh yeah i mean that's all i gotta say about that and jordan i'm glad you said something about jacobs because i've been i've been fighting the jacobs side with everybody that's come on mm-hmm. you know ian Har- ian harditz was down on him andrew erickson i know mung's down on him you know and kenyon drake comes in and all of a sudden we're like eh, let's move him to like a fringe rb2 like back end, you know, and he's had, he's had some really nice production, you know, and it's just like, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine him falling off that far. What's the argument that Kenyon Drake's better than Josh Jacobs? Because there's not a good one. There's not, no, there's really not a good one. And so the past which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even like he was horrible last year. He was one of the worst running backs in the NFL in, in Arizona last year. And it wasn't like, like I did a, I did a Twitter thread and I sort of looked at all the stats and someone was like, you know, what's the argument that Jacobs is better than Drake? I was like, I go, any stat you can pick, he was better than Drake. Like, you know, and, and you just sort of look down at all. And it actually then prompted me to sort of go and do, and I did a podcast series on it, which was just look at all the competitions, right. And sort of do this analysis of, of it. And like, he smashed him in PFF grade. He smashed him in over expectation. He smashed him in yards per route run. Like Kenyon Drake's made out to be this great receiving back. Like he doesn't even sniff Jacobs who has been incredibly underused. Like Drake has had basically one good season that he's hung his entire career on. He had one good like portion of a season and outside of that has not been very good. I don't like, I don't know. And the the funniest thing about it too, like the Jacobs, like the anti Jacobs argument, like, Oh, Drake, like they've really signaled that he's going to be a satellite player, which then leaves Jacobs in exactly the same role. He just finished his RB eight. Right, which is like, hey, we're all pissed off that he's not getting the ball thrown to him, which was like, you know, you'd watch Derek Carr just not even look in his direction. And I would be like, you know, I'd be under my desk, like in the fetal position because it would drive me insane. Um, 
like we're in the same situation. Okay, fine. Like now he's not looking at Kenyon Drake, who's running that route instead of Jacobs, and Jacobs runs for like you know fifteen hundred yards. Like he, Jacobs is a discount Nick Chubb, like like did the yeah. same type of profile. And you know Nick Chubb's probably better than him, but it's the same type of profile. And and Jacobs is younger with less mileage. Like I don't know. Like it's to me those profiles. Like you just start looking at profiles and you're like, all right, Jacobs is probably under undervalued. I like it. I like it. The so you talked about C.D. Lamb and, and Jefferson and guys that hit like they did their rookie year. I mean, do you have any analysis there of like what they do in their career arcs and and how sustainable that is? Because you know we've talked to a lot of people that have come on and when they hit like that early, you know when you when you got those guys like from 2014 where Beckham and, and Evans and all those guys hit, and we get these rookie wide receivers that hit right off the bat their their career arcs and how likely they are to do it again because there's a lot of people now that are investing second round startup capital in these two wide receivers after one year i love both of them so i mean i i don't want to put that bias in there but talk to me a little bit about that yeah i think jefferson's got the best case to be wide receiver one of anyone that's like young you know over and i would put him over aj brown metcalf you know any anyone that's if you're gonna pick a young wide receiver one like it's the argument that it's got to be Jefferson I, is sort of my is my take on it. Just from a volume perspective, from a profile perspective, from a youth perspective, from you know just how dominant he was. Like I mean, it was, he left very little to the imagination yeah. um, last year. So um, so that would sort of be my argument for him. You know, if I was pitching him as wide receiver one, like I think him over AJ Brown's a pretty clear in my mind would be a pretty clear one just from a you know, a, a volume perspective as well. Um, the other, so to answer your actual question, I, I took us off on a tangent. I'm sorry. No, oh, I do these things. Hey, I do these, I go these very circuitous routes. You know, um, we, we try to keep, you know, we, we get guests on and uh, that we want to like, just talk to it and, and brilliant minds. And it's like, we can keep going for hours, but we try to, you know, we get excited. We go on tangents and we're like, try to corral it back in. Cause we try to keep it to an hour, you know, cause people lose focus so quick, but like, we love just just hearing you talk about these kind of things. So keep it up. Yeah. I wouldn't. Go, I'm not going to put myself in a brilliant minds category, but I appreciate the sentiment. Um, the uh, so wide receivers, uh, first round guys that hit in the rookie season. So 20 uh, percent of that. Again, the sample size isn't huge, so I wouldn't you know lose sleep over any of this. But just to give you an idea, the the 20 percent have hit for uh, three straight seasons in a row. So years two, three, and four, they all hit for a top 24 seasonal finish uh 60% hit twice uh and then 20% didn't hit at all so as many people have sort of whiffed in the next three years as have hit again it's a small sample um I would say you know I I think the the like to me lamb is the one like if you were you know I wouldn't put a certain bet on either side being you know hey here's the guy that's gonna hit three times or here's the guy that's gonna whiff but I would just say like Again, we talked about the Kelsey thing earlier on. Um, you know, what do you want? Like, do you want a lot of, do you want to have like a lot of options? Because like Jefferson can play inside, he can play outside. He's sort of shown that. Um, CD Lamb's a glorified slot receiver. And like, that's fine, but be careful paying top six prices for that. Right. I mean, that's, 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 you know, if that's what he's like, he played to give you an idea. He played like two and a half or three less games in terms of snaps. Like they both played a full season. Uh, I think I think they both played a full season. Um, but on what it worked out per game, essentially Lamb uh, played two and a half less games than Gallup did last year, mm-hmm. because Gallup was playing all the snaps and Lamb was playing like you know sixty five seventy percent of them, and that. Like that's not good, right? Like, and then you know, I guess the counter argument would be like, hey, he's you know he'll grow into a role on the outside, like maybe. But if if as a rookie, like I don't know, I think that's it's that's a scary, scary sign to me if you want to spend really high on somebody. Uh, and so I don't, you know, I my rule early on is like just don't miss, like just figure out a way to not take a ton of risk early on. And so Lamb, like that that alignment slot 
centric, like won't play him outside type of situation. Like that's, that's scary to me in terms of looking at his profile. Well, and people won't want to hear this, but uh, you know, there are a lot of been, there have been a lot of similar arguments made for lamb as there were for Juju Smith Schuster. Um, not so long ago where, you know, people are talking, Oh, Amari Cooper could get cut at some point. He could be gone. And then, you know, CD lamb steps into that number one role and, you know, be careful what you wish for. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's and I, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'd be surprised if Amari Cooper's go anywhere. Like they made a massive, they traded first round pick made a massive investment for him. And now like they're going to cut him. Like, I don't, like, that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Like I get the guaranteed money isn't there and like they could. Right. But um, I don't know, like their offense would take a huge hit. And like Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper is really good. Again, if you're just looking at these things, like just, I think an easier, another easy way to look at it is like, is this person the best wide receiver on his team? Like, I think CD, I don't think the answer for CD Lamb is yes. I think it's no, but I think there's definitely a debate, right? At, at worst, there's a debate. I think Justin Jefferson's probably the best wide receiver in Minnesota. You know, I think that one's pretty, you know, I think AJ Brown is like DK Metcalf. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one, you know? And so I think when you just sort of frame those things, you can sort of see, like, I think there's a lot of just look at, again, looking at profiles and I have nothing against CD lamb, but I'm just trying to, you know, avoid a huge, like a catastrophe in the third round of a startup draft. Like I think, you know, letting someone else take him is probably the way to go. Gotcha. What about these running backs? Cause this is <laughs> another thing where, Right now, Twitter's like, well, Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson, they're, they're all going to hit again this year, right? Every single one of them. It's guaranteed, right? Like, Because if you look at startups and you're you you know you're saying that, that uh, CeeDee Lamb is a potential pitfall, I mean, we have all of these running backs, Swift included, you know, and Dobbins are all going in that second, third round. They're pretty much all right there. I mean, talk to me. Have, have, if they hit year one, how does it look for running backs? And if they don't, how does that look? Yeah, we're at the point of the summer where Jordan needs to go on vacation because I've I've basically like I was a huge fan of of Taylor and Swift and um, Acres to lesser degree Dobbins and and Edwards Lair coming out, and now I've convinced myself like I'm uh, like they're all going to fail. <laughs> I've gone through this whole like machination of like I've just looked at all the flaws of like you know and. There's a lot of good there, but I've come to the point of like, all right, we need to send Jordan off like to an island by himself where he doesn't have the internet for a while and like recharge his batteries. Um, you know, so the guys that hit like first round, uh, first round, uh, excuse me, second round running backs that hit really perform like first round running backs that hit. Like they really look the same over the next three years. Um, and again, I like we could get super far out in terms of like, hey, you know, what's the next 10 year arc going to look like? The sample's really not that big. Um, and, you know, so I caution people about that. Like, it's tough to predict that far out. But I really look at, like, the. I think the rookie contract window is a really good way to look at it. Um, and so they both, you know, 38% of second-round guys have hit three-plus times or three times over the next three years. So basically four to start their career. That's a that's a pretty good number, you know, and that's that, that performs, they actually performed a little bit better than first round running backs, which again, the sample small, I'm not going to say that they're a better bet, but I think that's an interesting, you know, when you sort of look at it, like they actually, you know, the, the, the whiff rate is actually a little bit higher for second round running backs than it is for, or excuse me, for first round running backs than it is for second round running backs that hit in their first year. So I think that's an interesting, you know, it's, it's just, they perform pretty close. I think you could put them in a tier, Um, you know, and there's a big drop off to guys that haven't done it. Right. Like, so again, you're looking in the, for the guys that have done it, it's probably like 80 plus percent do it again. If you just sort of group the first two rounds together, um, you know, for guys that haven't done it yet, it's lower than 50, you know, it's at or about 50, you know, depending for, for round two guys, it's lower than 50. And for round one guys, it's right about 50, you know, it's a little bit above 50. So just say roughly 50. And that's a big difference. Right. Yeah. Again, just just looking at profiles, you know, 80 to 50, <laughs> big difference. Um, and so th- those guys that hit really put you in a different tier. Again, I like Cam Akers, but like you look at the stats from last year, some of the advanced metrics and stuff. It's not a certain like it's the, the argument that he was better than Daryl Henderson is um, not a particularly compelling one. 
again, I think he's a better player, um, but from a produ- what they've done so far, uh, that's a scary one. So I like to, and I think you could have, you know, I wish I had done it, which was just to take take them all and just have traded between them last year. You could have made a fortune. Oh, a yeah. Fortune. Yeah, but, if you started out with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and moved oh, down to Jonathan Taylor plus a right, first, and then right. when Jonathan yeah. Taylor went off, you got him and right. Cam Akers plus a first, and now all of a sudden right. Cam Akers in a one quarterback league is a first round startup pick. Then right. you can trade him for DeAndre Absolutely. Swift in a first. And in in my like in college, DeAndre Swift was in my estimation the best of them. You know, so it's like yes, it's right. gotten it's gotten crazy. You know, and right. I, one thing that I've been trying to advocate, and I, I've talked about it on the show for for months is is insulated trades. So mm-hmm. taking a guy, what I did in the off season was I took Jonathan Taylor, you know, and mm-hmm. I love Jonathan Taylor, but I traded him for Austin Eckler in the one Oh two, which I call like an insulated really trade, nice. right? You're getting mm-hmm. that running back that you know mm-hmm. is going to produce because Austin Eckler is going to produce. I mean, he has top five potential and he's going to be yeah. top 12 as long as he stays healthy and Najee Harris fell to one Oh two. So now you got right. two bets. So it's right. like what you said is like, you're talking a lot about profiles. You're talking about, you know, hit rates and percentages. And it's like, not everybody's going to hit. So if you have those opportunities to take Cam Akers and get Austin Eckler or get, you know, Josh Jacobs plus a lot. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities here to win just by moving back in what people see as ADP and guys that can't hit, can't miss. Totally. And the other thing too, is like, I look at, and it's not, not all of these guys are created the same. So I'm sort of working on a, I'm working on the, the toddler dropping urgency smash scale, which I'm, that's still in the hibernation phase, but I'm also looking at a a core defining what a core asset is. Um, You know, and I think there's a level to them, right? Like, you know, a guy that you project, you know, Patrick Mahomes is on just a different level than almost anybody else, but they could both be core, you know, so I'm working on it there. But if you sort of look at these, um, you know, is I think Eckler's probably a core guy over the next two years, right? And that's kind of how I define core guys. It's like a two-year window. It's not really that. People think it's like 10, but it's really closer to two. That's why I use two for the two-two-two thing. Um, you know, and and Taylor, maybe three, four years. Like, that looks pretty good. And then it gets a little bit unclear after that. You know, there's a lot that can happen. Um, and and so you sort of look at that and you say, all right, like I'm taking one core guy and turning him into two, right? Like does Taylor, does Eckler ever have the upside, the longevity upside that Taylor has? Maybe not, um, but you're getting two shots, right? You're getting two core assets. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty compelling. You know what I mean? And I just, I think when you sort of look at, when you, when you break down trades into being, you know, are you giving away core assets? Are you getting core assets? When you can go to, when you can get two core assets um, and the difference between them isn't all that much, like that's a smashing success. Yeah. And people don't look at it that way when you're Uh in season, right? They're not like that first round pick is a core asset, but when that pick became Najee Harris, it sure as heck is, you know what I mean? Like now it, it is a core asset. And even if he Najee Harris went one Oh one, it would have been Jamar chase. And now we're in a situation where it's like, that's a win. And that's how you do those kind of things. Um, Yeah. And I mean, speaking of trades, uh, I know we're running short on time here, but something I really wanted to ask Jordan, I know you talk about the draft capital invested in these players a lot and something that I've been trying to look into um, and I haven't gotten there yet is how much weight do you put in uh, for when an NFL team trades up for a player? So, you know, 2017, right? The chiefs trade up for Patrick Mahomes and everyone's talking about Deshaun Watson. Watson's been a hit as well. Um, but, you know, going back to as recently as last year, we saw people kind of write off the fact that the 49ers traded up in the first for Brandon Ayuk. Um, I'm trying to think what other trades. I, I know the Saints traded up for Adam Troutman. Uh, the jury's still out on that one. But, uh, you know, and Jordan Love, people love to hate Jordan Love. But, uh, you know, the Packers traded up for him. Um, they've actually historically had a pretty good uh NFL track record in terms of drafting. Uh, So then this year, you know, obviously the same thing applies to Trey Lance. We talked about Trey Sermon a little bit. Um, And then also uh, Jalen Waddell is somebody, you know, who the Dolphins traded back up in the first four. So what, what kind of weight are you giving, if any, to, you know, the added draft capital that these teams spent? I don't, um, I, I, I don't, 
we looked at it a couple years ago and there really wasn't anything there. Like, I guess like maybe if you wanted to sort of say as like a tiebreaker, like, Hey, really good franchise. And I mean, like there's maybe like three or four of them, but like, re- like really, really good franchise makes a trade up deal. Like, Hey, that should maybe sig- signal us to something. I don't know. I, the the hit rates are so low as it is. Like I think it's tough to draw um, a big time, you know, a, a big time result from that. Um, and you sort of, you know, you could go back in the the hit rates on the quarterbacks. Like a, a huge percentage of them were traded up for recently. And like you know, in that same in the same uh, the same Mahomes and Watson trade. Trubisky was the same thing, right? So again, <laughs> you sort of look at these things, and it's it's. Uh, the the samples just aren't big enough to say it, and it looks c- probably closer to random. Um, you know, I, if I'll say this: if people are going to, if it's going to change values where the non-traded up for guys are going to be, are going to be a value, like that's great news, I think. Jordan, we're getting close to that one hour mark, and I, I you got I me all totally, night. You got me all night. Totally. The kids are in bed, man. You, 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 I got I got stamina. <laughs> My kids and my girlfriend are probably get a little bit mad there, but uh, <laughs> so uh, we've enjoyed having you on and discussing those things. And uh, for someone who hasn't, you know, dove into your book or someone that hasn't, mm-hmm. you know, isn't familiar with it, you know, here's your time, pitch it a little bit more. Cause we, we've talked a lot about it. And then like the information that you've presented, I mean, if you hear this, you have to be wanting more, you know, and I, and I certainly do, but talk to us a little bit about, you know, why our listeners should be doing that. Yeah, well, I mean, I uh, I think the thing with the analytics of Dynasty is we we look at strategic things. And when you read the analytics of Dynasty, it's not going to tell you to like, hey, pick Will Fuller or don't pick Will Fuller. It's going to tell you like, hey, here are the things to look for, right? It's going to be the – and we, we, we're working on being the, you know, hey, we're going to teach you to fish more than give you a fish type thing. Um, and so we have a lot of strategies, a lot of profiles. And again, I, you know, I, and, and through the analytics of dynasty website, I have a subscription service where you can go and actually, you know, I do a dynasty daily podcast and I have a, um, a, a subscriber group chat and in the group chat, I've noticed like there'll be people that, um, you know, of all varieties, right. That they, you got guys that have, you know, six figure buy-ins and dynasty leagues. And then you've got guys that, that, um, you know, are brand new, right? You got a variety of them. And I've kept noticing, like, there's a lot of growth there in terms of like, they'll start answering their own questions. And and it's, it's where it almost becomes like, yeah, I'm here, but it'll be like, Hey, like here, like, here's this trade. Like, here's what I'm thinking about it. You know, sort of, what do you think? Whereas at the beginning there, there's a big, there's like, Hey, I, I don't know what to do. And right. it's a really, it's a beautiful thing. Right. Because you see them sort of making the growth. And, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. Right. And we're trying to tackle big topics. So that way we kind of understand big topics. And then we can figure out how to address them on a player by player basis and a trade by trade basis and all that stuff. That's what that's what it's about. Um, And so it's big. It's big strategic things like that. You know, I think the best way um, to to go ahead and, and try and figure out like to to consume the analytics of Dynasty, I think the best way is. The, I have the 2020 and the 2021 edition as a bundle on the website. I think that's the best way to do it because it's it's the way they're sort of worked together. It sort of gives you the whole the whole gambit. Um, and so you can go ahead and, and go over there and get that. Um, I'll write up a coupon code for um, for as smash as being the coupon code to get you 20% off. Um, you know, any of the books over there at analytics of dynasty. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, if I was going to tell someone to, to consume the content like that would be how it is. We also do stuff like um, tight end premium scoring. It's something that has always fascinated me. You know, I had a con- contributor, Scott Connor, uh, do that, you know, PA Howdy, uh, Peter Howard did a whole metric series on a whole chapter on rookie metrics that matter, which is something I've always thought would be really helpful. That's in there as well. Um, and my co-host Chad did something on roster retention, which was fascinating. And I and when I sort of looked at it, it confirmed a lot of the stuff that I thought was right, that it's a lot shorter term game than we probably play. So, yeah, you can find all that stuff. There's a ton of stuff on Superflex. Like if you're playing Superflex, you kind of need the you need to understand the quarterback profiles. And I've got stuff in there that'll help you out and just sort of massively reduce your miss rate. Yeah, I love it. All three of those guys were on our podcast. Great guys, Peter, Scott and Chad. 
everything you said there was was phenomenal. What I really liked what you said is we have our group chat, you know, for our Smash Accept, and we're right. a smaller. We're just talking trades, you know. You're talking a lot mm-hmm. more broadscape, but the guys in there in the beginning, they're like, they would always, you know, Mung, Dad, what's going on? You're like, well, we need to. What should we do with this? Yeah. Now they're all kind of answering each other's questions, and and that's really what I thought was awesome about your book is and what you're saying is you teach them how to fish instead of just given those like answers, you know, people are always asking questions and they already know the answers on some of them, but now it's like yeah. they get that mentality and, and learn how to win long-term and play this long-term. So thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate the time guys go out there. You said code smash on your website. Did you say where everybody can find that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Analytics of dynasty.com. Yeah. So you can go to analytics of dynasty.com. Uh, and it's, uh, there's a bar up on the top says by the analytics of dynasty and, uh, yeah, use the promo code smash and it'll get you, uh, it'll get you 20% off, um, either of the books. All right. Mung, anything else you want to close on or anything you're doing over at fan tracks right now? Yeah. My, uh, my takeaway from tonight is probably to sell Darnell Mooney and Gabriel Davis, uh, among some other priority trade offers, but, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been working on my redraft rankings pretty much daily as we kind of gear up towards the season, but I'll have another update drop on my top 200, uh, and then I'll have an updated Dynasty rankings coming out pretty soon as well. You can find all that stuff over at Fantrax, and you can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and enjoy the process.